Today, we're starting a brand new series uh, called Divine Direction. Divine Direction. It's all about God's will or God's plan for your life. It's all about, it's all about your future. Warren Buffett is, is arguably the, the most prolific investor in history. Not to be confused with Jimmy Buffett. Different guy, okay? Different guy. He's currently, Warren Buffett is, the third richest man in the world. At one time, he was the richest man in the world, but now he's the third most wealthy man in the world with a net worth of, you ready for this? $60.8 billion. Don't you always love when people say, with a B? Billion, with a B. I hope he's a part of a great church somewhere. That's all I'm saying. Just $60.8 billion net worth. And, um, you know, when I say the word investor, or you think of somebody who makes money or becomes wealthy in the stock market, you probably picture someone who is a fast talker, who wears a flashy suit, who's got slick back hair, but that's not Buffett's style. Actually, Buffett lives in the same Nebraska home that he purchased in 1958. Still lives in that same house. And on his way to the office every morning, he spends $2.61 on the exact same breakfast every morning two sausage patties. Now, most importantly uh, about Buffett is that he's not a mover and a shaker uh, when it comes to his investment strategies. I don't want to get too deep into investing, uh, but Buffett decided early in his career that it would be impossible for him to make hundreds of right investment decisions, so he decided to only invest in businesses that he was certain of. And whenever he was certain, he bet heavily. He bet heavily. And Buffett actually owes 90% of, of his $60 billion net worth to less than 10 investments. Less than 10 investments. Buffett does his homework until he can find the closest thing to a sure thing, and then he bets the farm. Now, I have to admit to you this morning that my portfolio, my stock portfolio, is practically non-existent, okay? Um, but when I heard Buffett talk about his investment strategy, it did get me thinking about the power of, of our decisions. I would go as far as to say that, that for us in the room today, 90% of, of our life is, is probably determined by less than 10 decisions, that if you were to tell your story today, if you were to kind of sum up your life, if you were to kind of open up your portfolio of life, if you will, I would be willing to bet that 90% of your life is really based on fewer than, than 10 decisions. Think about it. Your family, you know, the, the person you decided to, to marry or, or where you decided to live or the job that you decided to take, you can probably trace it all back to a few choices, right? And, and what's ironic is, is, is that I could stand up here today and I could say that you are one decision away from changing your life forever. I could stand up here and say that, that you are about to make the biggest decision of your life. I could say that. But here's what's ironic, is that you wouldn't know while you were making it that it was the biggest decision of your life. You would only really know in hindsight, right? Looking back, because if I was to ask you your story this morning, tell me your story, you would tell me some really big decisions that you make, that you made, 
But the reality is while you were making them, they didn't feel that big. Maybe it, it was, you know, when you decided to drop out of school. Maybe it was the school that you chose. Maybe it was who you decided to be with or it would be with. You didn't realize at the time that it was a huge decision, but it was, it was big. And big decisions don't feel big in the moment, in the moment, do they? Now, this series is all about decisions. This series is all about making, making the right decisions. Being, we could say it like this, it's all about being in the right place, at the right time, doing, doing the right thing. The power of, power of decisions. That if you were to tell me your story this morning, and I was to tell you my story, you would sum up your life in honestly maybe two, three, four decisions. Maybe. And it's not even necessarily the, the, the sum total of a decision. Sometimes it's a decision to be somewhere, to meet somebody, to introduce you to somebody else. Sometimes it's taking a job to meet a person who introduces you to the next job, which is the one you were supposed to get. When I was uh, 17 years old, I got a call from a friend of mine who said, hey, we need a guitar player tonight for our youth choir. I didn't go to this church, but they knew that I played the guitar because uh, my band had, had played at their church some. And, and so they said, hey, we need a guitar player. Could you come play for us? And I said, uh, sure, sure, I would love to, to play for you. My best friend at the time was going to be there. I thought this would be great. And so we practiced, we rehearsed. I'm tuning my guitar when five minutes before service, the back doors open and in walks in the most beautiful, red-headed lady, girl, woman you've ever seen. She got my attention because I didn't know she was a redhead. She wasn't. She dyed her hair red that afternoon. I knew her as a blonde. Down for whatever reason, in that moment, the stars aligned, and this redhead walking down the aisle got my attention. We went to dinner that night. I threw all of my flirting game at her that I had, which was not much. And four kids later, it's history, right? But what if I was to tell you that it's not so much about that night playing the guitar at that church. What if I was to tell you that it was about being 12 years old and deciding to go with my dad on a missions trip to Los Angeles. And one day on that missions trip to Los Angeles, we got on a tour bus and we drove down to Tijuana, Mexico. We went to Tijuana, Mexico, and I'm walking through the, the street market there. And at one of the markets, there is this classical guitar. I'd never played the guitar before. I didn't know how to play the guitar, but I really wanted to because chicks dig guys who play guitar. So I thought, I really want to play the guitar. And so I paid $35 for this classical guitar that was probably not worth $3, but the strings made sound, so we took it. I got back on the bus. My dad looks at me and says, why did you buy a guitar? I said, I don't know. I just really want to learn how to play the guitar. He said, how are you going to get it home? I said, I'll figure it out. And so I sit down on the bus and the two and a half hour ride back to Los Angeles, a guy who was on the trip who knew how to play the guitar said, do you know how to play that thing? I said, no, I don't. I've never played it. He said, do you want me to show you? I said, yes, please show me. And he showed me how to play Sweet Home Alabama. 
And we're driving back to Tijuana, and for two and a half hours, this struggling beginning guitar player is practicing, trying to figure it out. And I fell in love with the guitar. And I went home, and I bought a book of chords at the local bookstore, and I went upstairs, and I locked myself in my room, and I would come home from school every day, and I would lock myself in my room, and I would play the guitar and learn the guitar, and I fell in love with it, and then I started playing at church, and then I started traveling with a band, and then one day, a man calls and says, we need a guitar player. Now, this is not a serious about making you second guess all your decisions because somehow you could have screwed up the dominoes of life. Because I firmly believe that God's plans supersede our stupidity. But it is a series about decisions. Have you ever really thought, up how, thought about how you end up, where you end up anyway? And so this series is about having the confidence to know that we're in God's will. That we're, we're in God's plan. We're doing the right things. The question we're, we're really kind of answering throughout this series is, how do I make sure... I'm doing the right thing in the right place at the right time. How can we make sure? Because at some level, don't all of us want to have some confidence and some certainty about that with our lives? Like we don't want to just be spinning our wheels or doing things that don't matter. How can we make sure that we're doing the right thing in the right place at the right, at the right time? The Bible calls it the, the will of God. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. Maybe you've wondered, am I, am I in God's will? Or maybe you thought, what is God's will for my life? Or maybe you feared that you missed God's will. And that's what this series is all about. We want to make sure we're doing the right thing in the right place at, at the right time. How do I know, Jason, what school I should attend? Who am I supposed to marry? Is it time to give up on my current marriage so that I can... Try again with somebody else. Is it time to have a baby? Should we have another baby? That's a question we've asked around our house a lot. Should we buy a house? Should we take the job offer? Should I quit my current job and take a different job? Which church should I attend? Should I leave my current church to go attend a different church? Should I retire? When should I retire? What should I do with my time when I retire? All of these decisions that we make in our life. Should I start something? Should I stop something? Should I stay where I am or should I go? Life is filled with questions, important, important questions. And we don't want to screw it up. We don't want to screw it up. And in a perfect world, we would go to God and we would say, God, I have this scenario. I need a yes or no answer. And before the words were even out of our mouth, we would hear the voice of God sounding something like Morgan Freeman saying a simple yes or no. Wouldn't that be amazing? God, I need to know if I should take this job. God, I need to know if I should go back to school. And Morgan Freeman says, good decision. Wouldn't that be amazing? But it, it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And if it did, we would feel peace about our decisions and everyone would live happily ever after. It would be amazing. But instead, instead, it usually feels like God is silent on the topic. We can't make up our mind and we make a decision and constantly worry that we made the wrong decision, right? Isn't that how it usually works? Listen to me. God doesn't want you to live in fear. He doesn't want you to live with regret. 
And just in case you can't stick around for the rest of this series and the rest of the messages, I, I, I do want to give you one spoiler. We're going to talk about this for four or five weeks, but I do want to go ahead and give you just one spoiler. And that is this, is that God's will is not a trick. God's plan for your life is not a game. The best way I know to say it is the way that my dad said it to me my whole life. I, I, I swear I heard my dad say this 300 times growing up in my life. He would say this to me. He would say, Jason, as long as you want to be in God's will, you can't miss it. He used to say that to me all the time. I'd have questions about life. He'd say, Jason, as long as you want to be in God's will, you can't miss it but I'm getting ahead of myself, all right? So we need to start at, at the beginning. We need to start at the beginning. And today we're gonna read a few verses from the book of James. If you have a Bible or it's on your phone or whatever, you can find that. James, we're gonna be in chapter one. James chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be up on the screen for you. Four, and go ahead and find that because I wanna, we're, we're gonna spend some time in James one today. I'm gonna meet you there in a minute. But before I, I get there, I wanna read um, a Bible verse from Numbers chapter 27. Now, you probably haven't spent much time in Numbers. It's one of those books that you skip over when you're reading through the Bible because it seems very tedious and pointless. But there is some, there's some gold nuggets in there. And, and so I'm reading this a while back, knowing that we're going to be doing this series, wondering about God's will, thinking through all about the decisions we make in life. And I come across Numbers 20, 27. And the reason I'm reading it this morning is because I just want to give us a chance to laugh. I want to give us a chance to laugh because when it comes to God's will or God's sovereignty or the providence of God or any other fancy Bible phrase having to do with God's plan, it, it can feel so intimidating, can it? We put so much pressure on ourselves to get it right. If we don't put pressure on ourselves, we at least um, put pressure on our kids, right? that we need to get them into the right preschool so that we can get them in the right elementary school so that we can get them on the advanced track so that we can get them into college so that they could, you know, get a good career so that they can make enough money to have a family and have kids and start the cycle all over again. Or maybe it's not about education. Maybe it's like, well, we got to get them signed up for sports so that we can get them on the traveling team so that we can get them a scholarship so that, you know, dad feels like he's a success, Right? Whether it's pressure on ourselves as parents or as, as dreamers, employees, entrepreneurs, or pressure on our kids, we, we put so much pressure on ourselves. And when we read the Bible, we, we kind of assume that everyone we read about ha is like a super saint. You ever thought about that, about people in the Bible? They're super saints. They're always in the sweet spot. They're always in the right place, doing the right thing at the right time. But I want to show you in Numbers chapter 27, this is actually verse 21, what it says. It says, when direction from the Lord is needed... Joshua will stand before Eleazar, the priest, who will use the Urim, one of the sacred lots cast before the Lord to determine his will. And this thing, Joshua and the rest of the community of Israel will determine everything that they should do. This is pretty huge. God is saying, I'm going to tell you what to do every time you need to know what to do. Every time you have to make a decision, God is saying, I'm going to tell you what to do. And, 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 and what he says is absolutely insane. You got to love this. He says to the people, he says, whenever you need direction, whenever you have to make a decision, Joshua will go to the priest. The priest will cast lots. And, and just so you know, casting lots is the equivalent of rolling dice. Okay? So God says Joshua will go to the priest. The priest will pull out Yahtzee. He'll shake it up. He'll roll it out. And then however the dice fall, that's what you do. 
And this is what I want you to do every time in life you have to make a big decision. Now, just to be clear, this is not God's advice for everybody in the room for every decision we have to make, okay? But I do love this verse because I think most of us can relate to this philosophy. That when we have a big decision in life, we go to the pastor. You guys call me up or I got a call this week. Hey, I got a job interview. Will you pray for me? Or, hey, I want to come out and talk to you because I have a big decision to make in life. So we go to the pastor. After we talk to the pastor, we feel as if we're rolling the dice with something. And then we just hope that we're doing the right thing. But what if I told you there was a better way? What if I told you that there's a way to have more certainty that the next thing in your life is the right thing at the right place at the right time? All right, James chapter 1. Let's read. We're going to start with verse 22. James chapter 1, verse 22. This is, this is James, who is the brother of Jesus. Random fact that's not important to this message, but just so you know. You know that James was not a believer while Jesus was alive? Which you can understand because, like, Jesus was his brother. So you can kind of understand, like, oh, yeah, he's Messiah. Like, this is his brother. You know what I mean? So, like, but after Jesus died and was raised from the dead, James is like realizes, wow, he really was something. So James, the brother of Jesus, writes this in James chapter 1, verse 22. Here's what it says. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Now, this may seem like a, a strange verse to read to talk about God's will. Um, maybe, maybe you're like, wait a minute, Jason. Um, this doesn't sound very helpful to my situation. I'm trying to figure out who to marry. Um, I'm trying to figure out where to move. I, 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 I need a yes or a no. I need some direction in my life. And you just read a verse about the word of God. That doesn't seem to add up. But actually, this is the best place to start with a conversation about, about the direction and decisions in our life. And I'm going to show you why. In 2014, Navy Admiral William McRaven gave a commencement speech at his alma mater, the University of Texas. You may have seen this video floating around Facebook. But, but in his commencement address, he, he gave advice to the graduating students. And here's was his, here's was his, here's, here was his advice. He said, if you want to change the world... Start off by making your bed. If you want to change the world, start off by making your bed. Now, McRaven is a 36-year Navy SEAL. There is nothing he, he cannot do, okay? But when given the chance to talk to graduating seniors about how to change the world, he wants to start by talking about making your bed. This is what he said. He said, every morning in basic SEAL training, my, my instructors, who at the time were all Vietnam veterans, would show up in my barracks, and the first thing they would inspect was my bed. They were inspecting the bed. He said, if you did it right, the corners would be square, they'd be pulled tight, the pillow centered, pulled tight under the headboard, and the extra blanket folded neatly at the foot of the rack. He said, it was a simple task, mundane at best, but every morning... We were required to make our bed to perfection. He said, it seemed a little ridiculous at the time, particularly in light of the fact that we were inspiring to be warriors. But the wisdom of the simple act 
has proven itself to me over and over again. He said, if you make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day. And if you can't do the little things right, you'll never do big things right. Make the bed. That's what he said. I love that phrase. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never do the big things right. Make the bed. It was that phrase, if you'll never do the little things right, you'll never do the big things right, that got my attention. And that's what James in James chapter 1 is trying to explain to us to lay this foundation for how to know and have confidence that we're making the right decisions about God's plans for, for our life. James wants to make sure we understand this very important truth that influences everything, but specifically the direction. So he uses, James uses a comparison that everybody in the room can relate to. Everybody in the room can relate to. He says, James says that someone who, who is always around the truth, someone who, uh, who's always showing up to church or listening to sermons or reading Christian books, somebody who is constantly hearing or processing or around truth, but doesn't do what what it says or doesn't obey the truth that they know or doesn't put it into action, doesn't do what they're learning or apply what they're learning is like someone who looks in a mirror and then walks away and forgets what they saw. In other words, James says that it's like looking in a mirror, right? It's like looking in a mirror and a plea here the truth of God, we have a chance to apply it to our life, to make it stick to our life or not. And this is such a great example because all of us in the room can relate to looking in the mirror. We can all relate to looking in the mirror and noticing some need for improvement. Can we not? Can we just be honest and say, when I first look in the mirror at the beginning of the day, there's room for improvement, all right? Maybe right now we could say, I could look in the mirror right now. You know what? there's some room for improvement. We could all say that. Maybe we need to fix our hair. Maybe we need to change our outfit. We look in the mirror and we make changes until we feel good about what we're looking at. That, that's what we do, right, when we look in the mirror. We look in the mirror as long as we need to to make changes until we feel confident about what it is that we're looking at. And James says that the Holy Spirit is like a mirror, and that when we hear the truth of God's word or we feel convicted about something in our life, but we don't act on it, it's like, it's like walking away from the mirror oblivious that we have something in our teeth or that our fly is unzipped or that we have a stain on, on our shirt. In other words, James says you don't get credit for hearing. I mean, you don't, you don't get credit because you hear something. And isn't it true that as Christians, we're all kind of educated beyond our level of obedience? Isn't that kind of true that, that we've heard enough sermons, you know, maybe listened to enough podcasts, watched enough little three-minute truth clips on Facebook, grew up in it, read a book, whatever it is. Like, isn't it true that we all, we're all a little bit overeducated beyond our level of obedience? We felt the Holy Spirit nudge us and knock on our heart. We, we, we have felt more than once that we should go in a certain direction, but we didn't act on it. And, and James, James is saying that you're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself. 
And you, you may say with pride, like, well, Jason, you know, I go to church. You know, most of my friends don't even go to church. Jason, I go to church. Or maybe you would say with pride, like, well, my kids go to Christian school. You know, I'm protecting them and, and, and helping them. My kids go to Christian school. Or maybe you would say with pride, you know, like, I read the Bible, Jason. I read the Bible. But James is saying that if you look into the truth of God's word and, 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 and you don't make changes, you look into the truth, you hear the truth, you feel the Holy Spirit, and you don't make changes, that it's like walking around thinking you look good, but remembering, but forgetting that you, you don't have any pants on. Can you imagine walking down the sidewalk or walking down the street thinking you look good and you don't realize you're not wearing any pants? James says that's what it's like when you feel, hear, know the truth of God, but you don't do anything about it because hearing and doing aren't the same thing. Hearing and doing aren't, aren't the same thing. So let's just stop for just a moment because we're going to read a little bit more. Let's stop a little mo- a moment before we go any further because maybe you're thinking, Jason, that's great. Thank you for that little lesson about hearing and doing. But what does any of this have to do with God's will? Like I came today because I need to know, yes or no, what does any of this have to do with God's will? Jason, I need to make sure I'm doing the right thing in the right place at the right time. Why are you talking about mirrors? That's a great question. I want to read one more verse. Pick back up. James chapter 1, verse 25. James is going to finish his thought, but this is what he says. He says, but whoever, because he just talked about those who hear, feel, No, but don't do. Mirror, walk away. He says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law, he's kind of giving that metaphor of the mirror again, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it. Everybody say continues. He says, you look into the law and continue in it. They're forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. Did you, did you catch it? Did you catch it? Look, look at how James ends the verse. He says, they will be blessed in what they do. Another way to translate, translate this, if you go back to the original language, another way to translate it is to say that they will be blessed in whatever they do, or they will be blessed in their doing. That in other words, it's not even about a a longitude or a latitude, that it's not even about an exact place at an exact time, that there is a way and it is possible for you just to be blessed in your doing. It's possible for you to just be blessed in whatever you do, right? That's what James says. And this is a game changer for the way that most of us think about God's will, right? Because we think about God's will as a specific task at a specific moment, in a specific place. But James said, there's a way to know that no matter what you're doing, you're blessed. I don't know about you, but I know about me. If there's a way to know that whatever I do is going to be blessed, if there's a way to know that in, in my doing, I'm blessed, I would like to know how to have that. I don't know about you, but that, I know for me, like, I w- I'll take that. Like, please help me understand how I'd like to know how to have that. James, please. And James says, it's not even that hard. It's not even that hard. He says, whoever looks into the perfect law, 
In other words, whoever looks into God's mirror and doesn't just hear the truth, but obeys the truth, they will be blessed in whatever they do. That the determining factor of whether or not what you're doing or where you are or when you're there, the determining fact is not if you guessed right or if you made the right choice. The determining factor is whether or not you have done something with the truth that you already know. That's what James said. Whoever looks into the law and doesn't just hear it, but does it. So here, here, here's the question for you. If we're going to talk about decisions, if we're going to talk about destinations and being in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing, here's the question. Are you currently doing what you know you should be doing? So before we talk about what you want to do next, before we talk about hoping or choosing A or B, before we talk about that, here's the question we got to start with. Are you currently doing what you know you should be doing? I, I wrote it down like this. If you do what you know to do, you can do whatever you want to do. If you do what you know to do, you can do whatever you want to do. Are you currently doing what you know you should be doing? See, what, what you're doing now is way more important than what you plan on doing later. What you're doing now is way more important than what you plan on doing later. It is the indicator of what you will do later, what you're doing now, I mean, right? So are you doing now what you know you should be doing? Are you obeying the truth that you know you should be obeying? Are you saying yes to the promptings, nudgings, pushings, voice of the Holy Spirit of your life where you know you need to go down this path, say yes to this, say no to this. Like when God says rent a truck and go to Houston, did you say yes? When God says go to Guatemala, when God says talk to that person about your faith, when God, where is, how healthy is the relationship that you're in right now? Like when you look at where you are currently now, and you think about where you want to be. Are you doing now what you know you should be doing? Because James says that whoever looks into the perfect law and doesn't just hear. You're like, well, Jason, I mean, I, I've been coming to church for like 18 months. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in a better place than I was 18 months ago. That's amazing. I, I want you to know I'm so pumped for you. Like, I love that. But are you obeying the truth that you know now. Because you don't get credit for hearing. Like you don't go to work without any pants on and your boss says, Jason, you don't have any pants on. And you say, well, I mean, I looked in the mirror. He's like, yeah, but you don't have any pants on. But I looked in the mirror. You don't get credit for looking in the mirror. You get credit for making changes, for adjusting. You, don't get, you say, well, Jason, I went to the small group. I love that. What are you doing with what you know? Because if you do what you know to do, James says, you'll be blessed in whatever you do. Obey now, you'll obey later. 
Do the right things now, you'll do the right things later. Be in the right places now. Guess what? You'll be in the right places later if you do what you know to do. You can do whatever you want to do. Now, Jesus said the same thing, but he said it just a little bit differently. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, I'll just read it to you. You don't have to find it. Jesus said, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. And though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. What does that mean? Well, it's the same thing James said. Are, are you doing now what you know to do? Because if you are, you're building a, a house, a foundation on rock, and no matter what happens in your life, you'll be blessed. Well, Jason, they're talking about cutting, cutting back jobs at my job. You'll be all right. You know why? Because you're obeying the truth you know now. Well, Jason, you know, she or he just broke up with me, and I thought they were the one. You're going to be okay. You know why? Because you're doing what you know to do now. You're obeying the truth you know now. But if you look at your life and you say, well, one of these days when I get married, I'll settle down and be serious and make better decisions, you won't. You know why? Because you're not doing what you know to do now. You say, well, one of these days when I make more money, I'll be more responsible with my money. No, you won't. You know why? Because you're not doing what you know to do now. Now, if you didn't know to do it, that's a whole other conversation. But you know. And you can't not know now that you know. So what are you going to do with what you know? Because if you do what you know to do, you can do whatever you want to do. And you'll be blessed in everything that you do. So... Jason, how can I be sure I'm going to make the right decision? How can I be sure I'm going to be in the right place at the right time? How can I be sure, Jason, I'm not screwing this up? How can I be sure, Jason, that, that I didn't you know, marry the wrong person who married the wrong person, and that was 40 years ago, and now the whole ecosystem in the world is all screwed up? How can I, how can I be sure? I'm going to tell you. James told you. Jesus told you. Obey the truth you already know. Obey the truth you already know. And the amazing thing about God is that when you obey the truth you already know, he gives you more truth. And then you obey that truth and he gives you more truth. And then you obey that truth. And so then five years later or five months later or 50 years later, people say, man, how did you get to this place? And you're like, I don't even know. It's just like one decision at a time. One decision at a time. Obey the truth you already know. Do what you want to do. Do what you know to do. Do what you know to do. And you can do whatever you want to do. Because you're blessed. Your house is built on a rock. Let's pray.